0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We are grateful to be together today and we ask Holy Spirit that you would guide this time. Amen. It's so good to be with you. It's been a long time since I've been in this pulpit. I'm grateful. This week uh, marks my daughter Rain's 10th birthday and um, it's in a few days. so. Over a month ago, she made a list of gifts that she wanted and then highlighted and underlined the ones that she really wanted and then made a detailed schedule of what she wanted to do on her birthday down to the minute. And this was over a month ago that we had this. So we have been looking forward to this week for a long time. Sally Lloyd-Jones said in the Jesus Storybook Bible that Jesus holds up children as the owners of the kingdom of heaven because they are really good at receiving gifts freely. She calls children gift experts and they are experts at receiving things, not because they've earned them, but because they're loved kids are great at that and we as adults can lose this. We get tired and careworn as G.K. Chesterton says, we've sinned and grown old. And we We can think that the Christian life is all about duty or all about working hard or making ourselves presentable or better for God. We can focus so much on responsibility and propriety and being sensible and not getting carried away that we don't marvel at the gifts we have received. We, we stop ourselves from getting too taken up with joy. We limit what we hope for. We try to constantly manage our expectations But the passage that we're turning to today will not make sense if we don't let ourselves be a little tempted by delirium, by joy. We can forget how to enjoy gifts because we want to earn them. We want to get what we deserve. But today's passage is all about delighting in what we haven't earned, what we don't deserve. We have to let ourselves be astounded to desire and to hope. One commentator that I read um, called Romans 5 that we read this morning, the most important chapter in, in all of Romans, and every biblical scholar I read said it's among the most important, if not the most important. This passage in Romans 5 is a, is a hinge passage. It bridges what um, comes before it, the argument that Paul makes from uh, the beginning part of Romans to this middle section of Romans and shows what it might look like to inaugurate the kingdom of God. So it begins with the words, therefore. And one thing that I learned very young in my Southern Baptist Sunday School that still helps me today is that every time you see a therefore in the Bible, ask what it's there for. This therefore is there because it's a transition. Paul has been building a case for the utter inability of us humans to justify ourselves, to make ourselves right with God or to be right with God. And he's saying that righteousness with God comes not through keeping the law and getting all our sort of spiritual ducks in a row, but by grace through faith. And this verse says, therefore, so that's in light of this whole argument in Romans 1 through 4, that we are justified by faith How does this cash out in our life? What does this look like in our life? So there's so much in these few verses in Romans 5 that we can't possibly get through it today. And so I encourage you to read this whole section, 5, 1 through 11, multiple times this week because it's like a big, thick milkshake of goodness and it has to be taken in really slowly. So, we can't get through the whole milkshake today, but we are going to focus on the first four verses. Therefore, since we've been reconciled or made right with God, since we've been justified, made good with God through faith, what difference does that make? And I'm going to walk us through the first four verses, and we're going to look at four differences that that makes in our life. So, number one, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, since we've been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through faith. So there's a dispute here in this verse um, with with Greek scholars of uh, biblical Greek scholars of what um, verb tense Paul uses. So whether he says we have peace with God, like we have peace with God which is what most scholars think this verse says. Or, let us enjoy peace with God. But as a preacher this morning, I'm going to say it's both, because I can say that, because I don't have to be a Greek scholar. That we have peace with God, so enjoy it. Revel in it. Westminster, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins... Um, The very first line, the chief end of man, the chief end of humanity is to know God and enjoy him forever. We were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with him. We ran from him. And through Christ, God made peace with us. Have you ever been in a conflict with a really good friend or a spouse and then you reconciled, the best thing about that moment is being able to enjoy the person again, to not stay distant, to not wait, but to be near them, to know them, to enjoy them, for things to be made right. Enjoy peace with God so let's go to number two we have been justified through faith so we have peace with god and then second through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand paul is using access here in the same way that we would today if we were talking about someone who has access to someone politically important someone who has say access to the president or someone who has access to a celebrity. But interestingly, he doesn't say we have access to God, although we do, as in we can approach God. The text actually says that because we have been justified by faith, we have access to this grace in which we now stand. We have access to grace. Grace, as many of you know, is favor with God. It's being cherished, it's being nourished by God. It's not only God's presence that would be enough, but it's God's delight in us. We have access to God's favor. We are in good with God. We are tight with God. We don't just have access, we are brought near. The whole point of Romans 5, 1 through 11, can be summed up as a proclamation of assurance. You can have assurance of God's salvation, assurance of his grace for you, assurance of his favor, his love for you. You can stand in it, this grace we stand in. We can stand in it and put our weight on it because we know it will hold our weight. The point of this passage is that we as believers live in a constant state of grace. We have constant access to grace. So with Paul this morning, I urge you, if you are putting your assurance or your hope or your confidence in your own piety, in your own ability to make yourself right with God, in your own prayer life, or your giving, or following all the rules, or your own righteousness, or your own political views. If you are looking to any of that to justify yourself, to make you at peace with God, repent. Repent today of your trust in your own righteousness. It is because we have been justified by faith that we are at peace with God and have access to God's favor and delight and God's kindness to us. If we do not put our whole hope in this grace, we will not be able to enjoy or to revel, to rest in the peace we have with God that Jesus has won for us. So, Moving on, the second part of verse 2. Because we have been justified, made right with God, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This follows, remember, shortly after Romans 3, where Paul pretty famously says, we all have sinned and fallen short, of the glory of God. The glory of God is his presence. As theologian Jürgen Moltmann said, the glory of God is to enjoy God as God, to enjoy God as who God is, to love, to delight, to know, to submit to the true God. And we fell short of that because of our sin. We fell short of the glory of the presence of God. We could not know the presence of God. We could not enjoy peace with God, but because we have been made right with God, what we fell short of because of our sin, we are now told by Paul to enjoy. The verb actually means to have confidence confidence in, that we read to boast in the glory of God. That word to boast means we have confidence in it. We're certain of it, we're sure in the presence of God. We own it. We hope and we believe and we have confidence and we own the reality that we share in God's glory, in God's presence. What we fell short of, we now boast in. Jesus did that. Jesus made that possible. And we are called to live in and under that reality and to have confidence in it. So I picture so far. Paul kind of yelling this to these listeners. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And the crowd erupts. Yeah! And we have access to grace. They're so excited. They're dancing. Everyone's dancing. We have access to grace. Everyone, we have access to God's delight and favor. We have hope in God's presence. And everyone's so excited. And Paul says, and guys, we boast that we suffer. And then the record scratches and the music stops, and everyone stops dancing, and they turn and they're like, wait, what? What, what? Because everything so far seems like such good news, like such assurance. And then Paul starts talking about how we suffer. What? But what Paul is saying is such good news because he's saying that we can have confidence that all this is true, everything I've been saying is true, that we are at peace with God, that we have God's favor, God's delight, that we know God's presence and salvation even when we suffer. We don't have confidence. We don't boast. In the glory of God, because God makes everything go well for us. We have confidence in this, even in the midst of our suffering. So, suffering, friends, suffering is not antithetical to hope. Suffering actually births hope, it's the very place of hope. Suffering produces perseverance which produces character, which the word here, character, means is, is talking about being proved or being tested. And this proving, this proving grounds ascends to hope. We see this, right, in our personal stories. Many of us see this. I was interviewed this week by John Stark, who's a pastor in, in New York City. And his church is interviewing and, and getting videos with church leaders kind of all across America, and they're asking them, "How did you grow in intimacy with Jesus? When in your life did you come to know Jesus more fully? Did you come to know God's presence in a more um, palpable and intimate way?" And John told me he said, "It's funny, everyone we've talked to." didn't mainly talk about books or things they've read or things they've done. They all to a person talk about times they've suffered. Suffering is the proven ground of what we believe. It tells us if the story of the gospel is enough to hold us when everything else falls away. So since this is my final sermon as officially your writer-in-residence Church of Ascension, not my last sermon, I'll preach again, but as your official writer-in-residence, I want to say to you, Church of the Ascension, that you have been with us. You have seen Jonathan and I suffer in our time here. One week after our move across the country, many of you noticed my beloved father back in Texas died And then we lost a son to miscarriage. And then we got pregnant again to rejoicing. And after a long, hard time with medically restricted activity and lots and lots of hospital visits, we lost another son to miscarriage at 14 weeks, whose ashes are right over there. And we had another baby, and that was, that's amazing, and that's been so beautiful, but that also involves suffering and long hospitalization and weeks of complications. And then right after that, we had the coronavirus, and we have missed being together. We have suffered some. And we have been with you as many of you have suffered. We have watched tragedies and darkness and real pain as we have been on staff here. We have watched some of you suffer and find new life on the other side of that, but some of you are in the thick of it. And some of you have faced things that I cannot yet imagine. And so, as we have suffered, I've been writing. And I promise, I promise, this is not a plug for my next book. You don't have to buy it. But I want you to know that I write about some of our suffering here in our next book. And I say that in 2017, when all of this went down, when we first moved here, for a little bit of time, even as a priest, I found I didn't know how to pray. And in my suffering, I didn't. Have the kind of confidence, the kind of boasting in these gifts that I've been talking about and in God's love. And I wondered if we cannot trust God to keep bad things from happening to us, to keep us from suffering, how can we trust God at all? So it took me about three years and writing about 70,000 words in my next book to be able to answer that question. And so here's the answer I came to in my final chapter, and I want to read it to you. This world and our lives are full of beauty and horror, but the constant unchanging reality underneath, behind, and in the midst of it all is the love of God that creates, sustains, and redeems all things. The love of God is the constant holding us together. His love is closer to us than our very breath and moves faster to us than the speed of light. All of our questions, our doubts, our wanderings, our fears, and our joy revolve around the fixed point of God's love. We can have confidence in our suffering, that even our suffering can be taken as the raw material in God's transformation of all the world and of us. And listen, this is not just true of our personal, our individual suffering, though it is. There is a lot of suffering in our world right now. We are enduring together a global pandemic still as the cases of coronavirus rise in many states. The black community in particular, and all communities of people of color are lamenting about the way that injustice and entrenched structures that have been rooted in white supremacy since the founding of this country continue to play out in our culture and society. Jonathan and I and the kids yesterday went to a march in Homewood, and we were with black community leaders and they were lamenting the kind of violence that they have seen in their streets, in their community, and in our world. Esau Macaulay, who many of us know, is a priest for the ACNA and a dear friend, he wrote a piece for Christianity Today this week. And he says, The entire globe is convulsing with social unrest and protest, and almost every day I wake up to an endless stream of news that tempts me to despair. I look at the persistent racism and systemic oppression that mars our society, and I see no hope that things will change. I see political leaders failing to unify and not divide the country, and my trust in the system falters. I look at a church that so often views everything through the lens of a particular political party and not the gospel, and I feel downcast. He says, he goes on later to say, I need some signal that God has not abandoned us to human, to human vice, that it is possible, in the words of Sam, Samwise Gamche and the Lord of the Rings, for everything sad to come and true. I want to find room for hope when the reasons for it seem in short supply. And he asks, can we really hope to slay or at least deeply wound the monster of racism that is so deeply embedded in American culture. But he goes on to say, where does my hope come from? Not from the usual places, not from the fact that we've added more faces to our marches. My trust goes much deeper to the resurrection and the way in which it reconfigures our spiritual imaginations God has a long history of giving his people a belief in the seemingly impossible. And I wish I could read you the whole thing. Go read it. But he he goes on to say, we need to be re-enchanted by the resurrection. Instead of looking at the problems facing the church and the world through the lens of our Twitter feeds, we need to remember that Christ is risen and rules over all. His power applies to all of our enigmas. Racism and systemic oppression are not more difficult to overcome than death. And our hope for a transformed society comes directly from the risen Lord. Friends, in our suffering, in your suffering, in my suffering, in our communal suffering and societal suffering, We learn to hope. We learn to find hope in the place where hope actually is. Only in the power of Jesus to make all things in our lives and in our nation and in this world new. Because Jesus entered into suffering, because he persevered on the cross, because his character was proven in his sufferings, he has given us hope. He has given us access to grace. We are made right with God by faith. We enjoy peace with God. We have access to his favor and delight. We have confidence in his presence, and we even have confidence in God's love and favor in the midst of our suffering. So we are calm This week, even now, to live into these gifts, to put the weight of our lives on these gifts, to enjoy the hope we have in God, enjoy his presence, revel in it, soak it up, become gift experts. Believe, brothers and sisters, that the gifts God has given us are trustworthy and that they're infinite. They will not run out. He has overcome even death. And so we revel in God's presence. And you can do that because with the confidence of a child receiving a gift on her birthday, you can know that you are loved and accepted, that God's love has been poured out on us and that hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.